listening to an open mic Friday on this October the 9th in the year of our Lord 2020 for Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. If there's one thing that I'm asked more than any other is how do we share the unique message of the Christian faith with others? Well, there are a number of ways to do it. You can use great hymns that have the content. You can use a catechism like Luther's small catechism. Uh, You can use the liturgy. And of course, you can use Bible passages. What is, to me, the strong importance of the Christian faith? I believe it is the distinctions between law and gospel. So, I have a favorite Bible verse, that's out of Habakkuk. I've got a favorite chapter in the Bible, that's out of Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 5. And I also have a favorite Bible passage to talk about law and gospel. So today I thought we would kind of go through that. I've done this before but I've got new insights as to how to help explain it. It's Galatians chapter 3. There are a number of great writings that Martin Luther had, his commentary on Romans, but the commentary on Galatians is another wonderful item because I believe it gives the proper understanding of what we Lutherans mean by the distinctions between law and gospel. Now, Paul begins by chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And what he's talking about, who has led you away from the teaching that I had provided you when I was with you. This is not an unusual experience that we pastors go through. I remember one time I had finished a 16-week course on the small catechism. And we do that so people know that this is what I am to believe if I join the Lutheran church. And therefore, they then make a decision as to whether or not they will be confirmed, become a member of the Lutheran church and receive the Lord's Supper. Well, we were on our last lesson, and I tended not to give out offering envelopes till a person actually became a member. It's not that during those 16 weeks when they came to church, they could not donate to the church, but I believe it was a privilege to receive that, which occurs as an individual becomes a member. So those who had decided to become a member of the church, we handed out the offering envelopes. Now, remember, this is after 16 weeks of law and gospel teaching. 
So what happened? Well, one of the women looked at me, took the offering envelopes, and then asked this question, how much do I have to give? And everybody looked at me to see what amount I was going to say. But I didn't. I instead analyzed her question. And I said, let me repeat the question to you. And I reemphasized something. How much do I have to give? Well, fortunately, she caught on right away. She said, oh, that's right. I don't have to do anything, do I, to be a member of the Holy Christian Church? I said, that's correct. It's not that God doesn't want you to give offerings, but don't think you have to give them in order to become saved, stay saved, or go to heaven. And so that was a kind of a downfall for me that somebody would even ask that question after 16 weeks of law and gospel teaching, but it shows how easy it is to fall back under the law that there are things we have to do in order that God would save us. So this is the problem that the Apostle Paul had with the Galatians. That's why he calls them bewitched. He says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That's really interesting. He goes back to the crucifixion. I talk a lot about the difference between interpretation of the Bible and application of the Bible. I think most people can interpret the Bible if you're talking about what is it talking about. Now, there are some verses that we're not really sure what it's talking about, like the baptism of the dead. But in the crucifixion, people can understand, yes, Jesus was taken by the Judaism, taken to Pilate, and they wanted to crucify him. And Pilate didn't think he was guilty, but because he was afraid of what the Jews would say uh, to the heads of the Roman Empire, he okayed the crucifixion. Now, you can even know the words that Jesus said from the cross, but that's just the first step. And everybody could probably memorize what happened at the cross. But what is the application? The application is not that a person is saved because you believe that Jesus was crucified. No, that's not saving faith. That's historic faith. Instead, saving faith believes that he was crucified for me. I mean, how many people sit around worrying about Judgment Day because they don't think that they're good enough. And that's why Paul says, it was before your very eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. So he's 
getting ready to make some points. Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, and here it's Holy Spirit, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, you can go back to the first Pentecost where people did receive the Holy Spirit. Is it because they had done some work on their own or was it God doing the work as they heard with faith? And what was that which they were hearing? Well, Peter in his sermon indicated that they needed to be baptized, which it was not their work. That was the work of God. And that through that baptism, they would receive the two gifts of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is making it very clear that this was a kind of a holy sacrament, a holy way in which God transferred from the cross of Christ the benefits that Christ had won for us, primarily the forgiveness of sins and with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the robe of righteousness. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh. Now, not long ago, we talked about what Paul meant by that. He said, works of the flesh, I'm far ahead of everybody because I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I followed the ceremonial laws perfectly. I even persecuted the church of God, the Christians, putting them to death. If you wanted to take a look at what people do in the flesh, which means prior to their conversion, some people are seen as really adding things up and becoming perfected by the flesh. But that's not Christianity. You are not perfected by the flesh, which means by the works of the law you're perfected by something else. And so he goes on. Four, verse four, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So, there are miracles that happen in your life. Does God do them because he's so pleased with your works of the law? Or is he recognizing that you have faith when you hear him? And just so Paul makes it very clear, he gives an example. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God. Now, what's he referring to? Because he speaks of this in other places. God came to Abraham 
and we've mentioned this a number of times, his wife was 65, past childbearing age. He was 75, and a single son was promised that would come from the womb of Sarah. Now, she laughed within herself. But what happened? 25 years later, 25 years, she bore a child when she was 90 and Abraham was 100. But when Abraham was told by God 25 years earlier that this would occur, listen to the end of verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is a huge difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. I mean, you can even ask Christians, are you righteous enough to go to heaven? And you'll be surprised how many say no. But they don't realize. That's why they're foolish and have been bewitched by the world, that our righteousness is no longer, from God's point of view, based on our works, but it is through the faith we have in the promises of God that that's how we're accounted as righteous. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Yeah, in Romans 9 to 11, Paul begins there by talking about not all Israel is of Israel. In fact, there are people who think they're part of Israel because they can trace their ancestry back to Abraham. And the fact is, is the new Israel is not those who can trace their ancestry back to Abraham, but rather the true sons of Abraham are those of faith. And what does faith mean? It means trusting the promises of God so that God gave Abraham a promise that they would have a son in very old age, Abraham believed that. And, verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations be blessed. This, this is a wonderful promise that God had given to Abraham, that through his son Isaac, there would be a blessing to the entire world. And we know from reading the Bible that that meant that from the seed of Isaac would come the Savior, Jesus Christ. There are, there are charts that go all the way from Adam down to Jesus Christ in a direct line, showing that God keeps his promise. So up to now, what we have learned from Paul is that those who are considered to be saved are those who believe the promises 
not those who do good works. Uh, by, by the way, I think in a Christian family, parents with children, that's the way it operates. We give our children meals, breakfast, lunch, and supper. And we do that regardless of their obedience. So occasionally they disobey. Now, we may give them a consequence of their disobedience. Maybe they can't watch television that night or something. But we still continue to take care of them because they're our children. Well, you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You were not begotten, but you were adopted. That's what the Bible says. And that's why verse 9 kind of summarizes. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, that didn't mean that Abraham no longer sinned. No, there are examples of him continuing to sin. But that sin is forgiven because he's declared righteous by God because of his faith. So, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What does that mean? If you rely on the good things that you think you're doing in order to get to heaven, you're really under a curse. And he then quotes from the Old Testament, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide, and, and then there's a Greek word, by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So, yes, there are times when people can outwardly do a good work. But what God is looking at is their faith behind it, is their proper motivation. And that's why it's impossible to get to heaven by the works of the law because there's a lot of improper motivation. A lot of times we do good works out of self-interest, not out of faith in Jesus Christ. So he concludes in verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. There is the essence of the distinction between law and gospel. You see, most religions, if not all of them, they have laws. And they have laws because they believe that if you follow those laws, God will begin to like you, then love you, and maybe even save you. No, that's not what happens, because it is impossible for you to abide by all things written in the book of the law. You not only have to do them outwardly, you have to do them inwardly by thought and by word. And that's why 
But the only verse you need here is verse 11. No one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. And in case you still haven't got it, you Galatians, verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That is a tremendous distinction between law and gospel. You want to get to heaven? If you want to get to heaven by the law, then you have to do. But if you are going to go to heaven by the gospel, it's because it's all done. Jesus Christ has accomplished your salvation. So a lot of times in Mark 10, for example, in Luke 10, a rich man and then a lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do in order to be saved? And Jesus answers that question. Oh, you want to do something? Well, then you have to obey the commandments. That's the answer in both situations. And then he gives an example of what commandments. The rich man had too much trust in his money. You got to give all your money to the poor and come follow me. And the lawyer, he could not abide Gentiles and Samaritans. So you have to love a Samaritan. And, and that's really the purpose of what Jesus is saying there. You want to get saved by doing something? Here's what you have to do. And it's pretty clear that nobody is able to do that. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Well, I thought the law said, do this and you will live. And we can't do it. So we're under the curse. Listen to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And how did he do that? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That is really the essence of the Christian faith. You see, the new Israel includes not only Jews, but also Gentiles, if they have faith. And in Romans 9, Paul makes that very clear, that that faith is the faith of Abraham, the faith of Isaac. And so salvation is through faith. Now, we need to be very careful that we don't give the impression that when somebody says, why are you saved? And you say, well, it's because of I believe. No, you're not saved because you believe. You're saved because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. 
And the whole idea of faith is not the cause of your salvation. It instead is the vehicle by which you are moved to believe the wonderful promises of Jesus Christ. So faith is a gift, but it's not the cause of salvation. Any more than a child has faith in parents is not the reason why the child is the child of those parents. No, the faith is trusting the word of the parents because they were begotten or adopted. And our faith is the same. So we're not going to get through all of Galatians 3, but if you ever want one area in the Bible that shows clearly that the law cannot save, but we're saved through faith, trust in the promises, it's Galatians chapter 3. And it's something we attempt to show in every Bible passage we examine. So we ask you to join with us this coming Monday when we'll be taking a look at a passage that will be talked about the Sunday thereafter, and you will hear the distinctions between law and gospel. Until then, I'm Pastor Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.